Well, hey, welcome to New Hope Underground. I'm Jonathan Brocious and excited to be with you guys today as we discuss the passage that I just preached on for New Hope. That's Matthew 5, 38 through 48. Uh, kind of closing out chapter five, the, the part of the Sermon on the Mount here. And so excited to have with me today, Lucas Golden, to discuss this passage of scripture. So Lucas, welcome to New Hope Underground, man. Hello, thanks for having me. Oh, it's a blast. I'm looking forward to this conversation. Now, I, before we jump into the scripture, and we will jump into the scripture and have serious talk, I have a different question for you to kind of start the podcast. Because you are you know, the worship leader here at New Hope Effingham, and you also help guide both New Hope Newton and Shelbyville with a lot of different things music-wise. And so you know an awful lot more about music than I do. So here's my question. And this is, this is deep. This is a lot that you need to think about here. Give us your opinion of Weird Al Yankovic. <laughs> Wow, that is a deep one. I know. I wanted to know what you... Is, um, it, is it good art? You know, I have to be honest. Like, I've never really uh, been a partaker. You've never you've never listened to Weird Al Yankovic? Yeah, and there's not been a whole lot. I mean, I think I've seen or listened to a song here and there, but it's never been something I've returned to. Um, so I guess that <laughs> so could be... So it's not an, good. I guess that could be an answer to your question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it is an answer. So since you have no time for it... Yeah. <laughs> no good. No good. Okay. I'll have to know. That's, it's so funny because I always joke around with people about what's good music, what's not good music. And it's so subjective, you know? And, uh, basically my, my rules, if it makes it me happy, if I'm enjoying right. it, then we keep listening to yeah, it. If you like it, it's good music. Exactly. Exactly. Served its purpose. Well, Hey, we are talking about Matthew five thirty-eight through 48 and, uh, you have your Bible in front of you. Would you mind reading that scripture for us? Uh, Matthew five thirty eight through 48. Yeah. And this is uh, Jesus speaking. We're jumping right into the middle of that sermon. He says, You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Man, these are hard teachings of Jesus to follow. Yeah. Just, just on the surface of it, before we even really start diving into what does he mean, what is he trying to say, it's just hard. And I feel like anytime we start to discuss these scriptures, the immediate thought, the immediate feeling that we all have as people is, but if you knew what happened to me, if right. you knew what this person did to me. Mm. So it's just, I think it's important that we discuss this. I think it's important we talk about it. And as you're looking at that scripture, what pops out to you as you're, as you've kind of looked at it and studied it? Yeah. Um, 
and I have to be honest, a lot of my views and my thoughts on this aren't my own. Uh, sure. I actually did a study on the Sermon on the Mount with some friends a while back in uh, Dallas Willard has a book called The Divine Conspiracy that um, was super helpful to me. I d- highly recommend it if you are interested in digging deeper into the Sermon on the Mount. Um, well, cool. I'm excited. I haven't read yeah. that book, so I'm interested to hear what what you found in there. Yeah. And so I'm, I uh, make no claim to be able to recap his words specifically, but I can give my own Lucas version of it. Um, <laughs> Tyler would be proud. He's a big Dallas Willard fan. He is. He is. <laughs> um, but I think one thing, and, it, and it's even kind of speaking to what you were saying, um, what we can do is hear Jesus words and be like, Oh, those are really hard. Like therefore, like they can't be right. Or, you yeah. know, like we immediately like try and find ways that like, are, is this, is this true? really yeah. what that means? Do we have an out here or, yeah. um, and I think one of the things that Willard talked about even early on is, um, a lot of times we see Jesus as like this really, uh, good saintly person. Um, but we don't always think of Jesus as a smart person. Like when you think of like, who's the smartest, who are the the smartest people who have ever lived? Like Jesus probably doesn't make the top of the list for most people. Hmm. Um, and so we see him as like really good, but we don't always see him as smart. And basically what he's saying is like, we, I think there's a call here to redefine how we see smart. Cause there's uh, maybe people who see like, well, the real smart person is the person who's good at doing life the way we see it, the way life really is. And mm-hmm. Jesus kind of seems out of touch with that. <laughs> he just seems like almost pie in the sky, Pollyanna. Like, sure, that'd be nice if we could do all that, but that's not real life. Right. Okay. And so I think uh, first, like we have to kind of reorient our minds in saying like, no, what Jesus said here, while it might not be smart in on human standards in the life that we're used to or that we see around us, like the way of the kingdom truly is the smartest, like best way to live. Wow. That, that helps me so much, even as I'm thinking through this, because I always felt like Jesus was holding up this really high standard that it's like, well, sure, you're the son of God. No wonder you can do that. Right. But if you knew what this family member did to me, or if you knew what my boss did to me, or if you knew how I was taken advantage of, how am I supposed to actually get this done, Jesus? But when you're saying, no, this is actually the smartest way. This is the way of greatest payoff. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what, depending on what your definition of smart. But when I hear smart, I hear someone who's savvy, someone who can look at the situation, tease out all the end results and realizes this is the way for the best payoff. This is the way for the best results. We're going to go that direction. Yeah. And Jesus is saying, you want the best results turn the other cheek, mm-hmm. you know, walk an extra mile, give them your shirt as well as your coat. Like that's intense. Yeah. That's Another intense. thing that uh, Willard says that has stuck with me is he says a holy life is a life that functions. <laughs> uh, and oftentimes when we think about like define a holy life, like we see it as kind of out of touch with reality, almost like what I was saying about like smart, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but what he was saying is like, no, what, what Jesus is teaching here is a life that actually functions. Like God is the one who designed life, life and, uh, Jesus lived the perfect human life. First, we have to acknowledge that and like believe it, but a holy life is one that actually functions. We don't have all the baggage and the turmoil of, um, like when we think about a human life, man, there's a lot of hurt that goes into living life the way the world depicts it or teaches us to live. Yeah. Um, so a holy life is just one that functions well. You know, that's interesting you say that too. And I, I, what I'm about to say sounds, I hope it doesn't come across as super arrogant sounding. 
but I, I feel like I've turned a corner in my own life personally over the last three or four years where, cause I, I just turned 37 about a month ago. And so I'm, I'm past my mid thirties now looking at 40 pretty close and it's really, really interesting because I get to look at the world around me and I get to look at the, the other people that are my age. And I, I'm not going to claim to have lived this perfectly by any means, but trying to work through the forgiveness process, trying to work mm. through loving your enemy, trying to work through praying for those who have persecuted you. I see other people my age who have chosen not to follow this mm. and it wrecks their lives. It destroys them. And I'm not going to name names or give any specific examples, but we all have stories like that of, of people that are our age, people that are our peers. And it's always easier to see it on somebody else. You know, it's always easier to see it on somebody else's life than it is your own. And you're going, they are very still hung up on that thing that happened five years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago. And it train wrecked them and they're still stuck. And Jesus is advertising a way out here. We view it as handcuffs almost, relational handcuffs. Okay, I've got to turn the other cheek. I've got to love my enemy. Super hard to do. And we feel bound by these things. But when we follow them, what you're saying, and I think it's such a great point, is it actually frees us up to be truly human. Yeah. Frees us up to be what God has actually created for us to be. Which who wouldn't want that? Right. I love uh, when PV spoke a couple weeks ago, he talked about, well, even this whole passage that um, we're in, and I think you mentioned this this Sunday as well, like each part s- says, you have heard it said that yes, this is how you should act, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Um, and all of that was kind of centered on this idea of the law of uh, retaliation. Like yeah. if someone takes your, your eye out, like you can take their eye out too, because the, it's like just that you should be able to do that. Yeah. Um, so you've heard it said that this can happen. But then I think about the scenario that uh, PV painted where it was like the husband goes to work, uh, gets chewed out by his boss, puts him in a terrible mood. He goes home, chews out his wife, who chews out their kid, who kicks the cat, who <laughs> eats the mouse. You know, it's like <laughs> it starts this chain reaction. Yeah. And I mean, you think about it in, in the teachings of Jesus here. Uh, like if you start with the husband at the very beginning of the day when the boss wrongs him, yeah. like he has a choice here of whether I'm going to like seek revenge and I'm going to like carry this. I think about the, the phrase like hurt people, hurt people. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, is is he going to take that hurt and like seek revenge or seek to like uh, uh, put it on someone else? Or is he going to trust the words of Jesus and say, no, you're the ultimate judge. Like, I believe that your kingdom is so much bigger than what I even see right here. And I can trust you even when I'm hurt. And if he chooses to respond with that trust, like that changes the whole story. Like no one else from there on out is affected. And that's basically, I think what Jesus is painting here is this picture of like, you don't have to operate in the ways of the world. And when you don't, like life is just better for everyone. Mm. I love the word that you used. I think you used it three different times, trust. Because that requires the husband in this scenario, the boss just chewed him out. He has to trust that his instincts are not correct. 
You know, trust is when you're putting your faith in someone or something else other than you. And so he's saying, okay, I trust that Jesus actually knows more about this situation and what is the right thing to do and what is the best, smartest way to move through this than I do and what my gut is telling me right now. And so I trust that Jesus is smarter than I am, has more information than I do, and knows what I should do. So I'm supposed to not seek revenge not keep the score, figure out a way to be able to move on so that that way when I go home, I'm not chewing out my wife. Like that way my wife isn't paying the price for what happened to me. Yeah. You know, that's so good. Yeah. That's so good. I think uh, something along with that, with that too, that I think about often is uh, without the Holy Spirit in our lives, it's not, it's not just a call to like be a better human. You know, because I think the reality is like when someone wrongs us, like I'm physically incapable of not wanting to retaliate, you know, like that's, (laughs) that's my nature. And I know, like, I think the call even to us as believers isn't saying like, just do it. Like here in this scenario, do this and then you'll, you can be righteous, you know, but I think the call is like, are we following Jesus? Is the Holy Spirit regular? Are we giving him regular opportunities to transform our hearts? Because the call is to live transformed lives, not just like perfect lives of obedience. Mm-hmm. And it's the transformed heart that naturally wants to respond to this way. Um, Cause I know that my heart isn't going to, unless I'm first seeking his kingdom. So this is not something we can just white knuckle our way through. Right. I feel like when we try, it actually just winds up being repressed emotion and it kind of squirts out later 10 times worse. Right. It's not something we just force our way through it. It's like when we've been wronged, I think there, I think there's a reason, honestly, that Jesus talks about pray for those who persecute you. I think prayer has to be an essential part of this process in our lives. Mm. So when we're wronged, I think our response needs to be prayer so quickly because that puts us in a humble position before God. We're asking for the Holy Spirit to move in our hearts, just like you're talking about transforming our hearts, walking according to the Spirit and not according to the flesh because the flesh will retaliate every single time, mm-hmm. every single opportunity it has. But when we're walking according to the spirit, we don't get to do that. And I remember, um, I wanted to share this story with you too. Back when I used to work for the Christian radio station, uh, there was a, there was a preacher called Chip Ingram. He had a radio program called living on the edge. And he had a message on the love your enemy, pray for those who persecute you. And I don't remember too much of the message, but I do remember this one thing. He said, Prayer is an absolutely essential part of forgiving somebody. Prayer is absolutely essential, you know, kind of like what we just talked about. And he said, and when you first start praying for your enemy, <laughs> your prayers are going to sound something like, God, show them what they did to me. And, and they're very angry, you know, get back at them prayers. God, show them what they did. I pray that they would suffer. I pray that you would, you know, give them a what for. And then slowly over time, as you continue praying for that person, he said, you can tell when the spirit is starting to really work in your life. When you're able to pray for that person and you're able to pray good blessings into their life without any tinge of bitterness. So when you're able to start praying for somebody that wronged you and you are able to pray, God, I pray that they have a great day today. Mm. I pray that he and his wife just really have a fantastic marriage and that they laugh a lot today. You know, when you're able to pray good things like that, 
And it's not with a, but help him learn his lesson at the end. You know, when, when you don't have to add that tagline onto your prayer, you can tell that the Holy Spirit's really starting to do a work in your life. And I remember I heard that sermon and it wasn't very much longer. I felt very wronged by somebody. And uh, I, I, it's one of those moments. I mean, this was probably 12, 13, 14 years ago. But I still remember clearly exactly where I was when I felt God say, you need to be praying for this person now. I was mowing the lawn and I remember the corner of the lawn that I was in, you know, pushing the, pushing the lawnmower around and I started trying to pray. And that's when I felt like something unlocked in my heart in that relationship with this person. Now I can't look at you and say that the relationship went back to just the way it was before and everything was hunky dory. I mean, it, it wasn't, there were boundaries and there were, there were things that we had to put in place, but I wasn't stuck anymore because of that relationship. Yeah. That's huge. And I mean, I, I think I go back to even something I said before, where it's like the truth is that when you're hurt, the norm is that then we turn around and we hurt others, whether it's yeah. like responding to the person that hurt us or it's going to, it's going to like find flesh or be carried out, lived out in some way. And so it's like, you get that opportunity. Um, one, either to take like this person that's hurt you and you turn around and like get revenge. And so you just like prolong their hurt. Yeah. Or you can say, gosh, I know, because of what this person has said and done, that they must be hurting. It's like, I mean, you think about this, we're both dads. Yeah. And you see this in kids' <laughs> lives, but we often miss it in our own. It's right. like when my kid takes something away from their sibling, like what do they want to do? They want to take something that, that they know the other person wants. And then it just oh, I get turns so tired into of those. a train wreck. I, I get so tired of those. Well, it's fair. Who started it fights. Yeah. And I we, just, oh I tell my, my kids all the time, I was like, you know, the reason they do that is because you give them that reaction. <laughs> like if you yeah. pretend like it didn't matter to you, which that's not what Jesus is saying, like pretend like it doesn't matter when someone hurts you. No. Um, but the reality is like when we don't let it affect us strongly, there's like some on some spiritual level, like the bondage of that hurt is broken. Which requires such maturity to do. Little children do not come out of the womb ready to do this. Right. Little children are incapable of this. They have a very strong sense of what's just and what's fair. Yeah. They have a very strong sense of what's mine and what's yours. And when you took my stuff, I mean, every, anybody who's a parent is like rolling their eyes so hard right now because this is the world <laughs> they swim in all the time. I'm, I'm there. But to have someone violate your space, your boundaries, and for you to not strike back, that requires a level of maturity that, I don't, I don't always have just being honest. I don't, right. I don't always have it. And that it requires an adult. Jesus is calling us to be adults. Basically is kind of the theme that I'm hearing from you. And I think it's so right from Dallas Willard. This is the smart way. This is the way that requires trust. This is the way that requires maturity. And guess what? We're incapable of doing it ourselves. It's got to be a work of mm -hmm. the spirit. Yeah. And I think the, the reality is like when our lives are rooted in the kingdom of God, a lot of hardships can happen to us. A lot of like hurt can happen to us. Yeah. Um, and we don't have to, we don't feel the need to respond um, because the treasure, the the promise that we're given in the real, in God's kingdom is so much greater. But when we do try and find our identity and root ourselves in the kingdom of this world, like those things are ground shaking, you know, like mm. it feels like it wrecks our whole identity when something like that happens. Yeah. Let me put you on the spot a little bit here as we, as we start to wrap up this conversation, and this was something I wish I could have gotten to a little bit more in my sermon. 
it's easy enough for us to talk about all of these things in theory and in uh, just as concepts. But there are people that are listening to this and there are people that listened to the message on Sunday morning that are in the midst of real pain, real pain, mm-hmm. real hurt. You know, I've been a pastor long enough to realize that a lot of times people are sitting in those chairs just because they don't know where else to go with this pain and with the hard things that are happening in their lives. And I don't want to just kind of brush past that and say, oh yeah, you should be turning the other cheek. Oh yeah, you should be loving your enemy. Pray for those who persecute you. I mean, I fully believe those words. I put my life on those words. Those are the words of Jesus. What, what, are, some, what are some things these people can be doing? How can they start to process this and deal with this? They don't want to do it the same way that they've always done it. They've, they're, they're with us. They're, they're nodding their heads in agreement right now saying, yeah, I think this is right. I think this is what Jesus called me to do. I do trust. I want to trust. I do think Jesus is smarter than I am. How? Where do I, where do I go with this pain? You know, right. I wake up and it hurts. I go to bed and it hurts. What do I, what do, I do with this? Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, I feel like it's worth saying to um, in this passage, when Jesus is talking about someone who wrongs you or hurts you to turn the other cheek, I think, I think there's a context where he's talking about like maybe personal injuries or personal wrongs uh, where he's saying like, like you can roll this off the back because you're like your primary identity isn't rooted in this world. Yeah. But there are also like, big hurts that people are dealing with, like legal things that have happened or like major, major things. And I don't, and unfortunately I think sometimes this verse has been used uh, like as manipulation to like not say anything or report things. And like, I mean, we've all heard stories of like, um, cover-ups and things like that. Yeah. I just, I think it's worth saying, I don't yeah, my think... My fear is that an abuse victim would hear these things right. and not be going to the cops. Right. Because I'm supposed to be turning the other cheek. Yep. It, and that is not, <laughs> that's not what we're talking about. I'm so glad you brought that clarity, Lucas. Right, yeah. I just think it's worth saying, I don't think we have to camp out there, but I think it's more like when someone says something that wrongs us, like how are you going to respond when someone and it's, it's, it's more like the relational level, you know, and at mm. a personal level, um, gosh, I, I'll be honest, like this isn't easy for me. So even as you asked me that question, I'm like, Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, I'm trying to figure out what that looks like. I mean, I think for me, if I'm not consistent in like my time of prayer and my time of devotion, like, like centeredness, rootedness in the kingdom of God doesn't come easily. I think it's, it's a muscle that has to be built. It's something that has to be trained regularly through time in God's word of time together as a church family of being reminded of the gospel of who we're called to be as the people of God. Um, if we don't make those things a priority, it's, it's almost impossible. I think, I mean, you, you see exceptions of like missionaries who do this, but I don't think it's meant to be the norm that we try it alone. Like we need people around us rallying around us, reminding us like, this is the call of the kingdom and it's not the way of the world. It's not being modeled real well for us. We entertain ourselves with, with the opposite, you know, of like, we want to see people get revenge in the movie. It almost feels boring if they don't, you know? (laughs) And so, but then we're called to live something completely differently. And so I think we've just got to, we've got to have the support system around us. Um, the disciplines in place, uh, to be reminded of what Jesus call is. Those are the two things I was going to say. Also, I think it's got to be happening in prayer. 
constantly. And then I think you've got to have people in your life that you trust to talk to constantly about things. I have found that that hurt and pain and insults and injury and dysfunction like this, it's almost like mold or something. Like it grows really, really well in the dark. Mm. But as soon as you start bringing light to it, and as soon as you start inviting other people into the deepest crevices of your life, you know, they know all the garbage. And I'm not saying everybody. There's, there's extremes on both ends. There's people that tell nothing, and then there's other people that advertise everything. And I'm saying find two, three people that you fully and completely trust and let them, let them know what's going on in your heart and make this a regular practice. It's not a, it's not a, Oh, I've got a bunch of stuff I need to dump. I better call my buddy. No, like you, you walk life with this person and they know what's going on and you're sharing normal days and bad days and good days. And you're sharing all those things together, man. I mean, I know my wife is a huge one of those for me, but then I also, it's not just her. I don't think that's a fair burden to put all just on her. But there's a couple guys in the church too that I could talk. I could call right now and they'd be they'd be willing to drop anything and talk to me. And I so value that because it's so essential. And then the one other thing that I wanted to say too is in another passage of scripture, and I don't have the reference right off the top of my head. I think it's Peter comes up to Jesus and says, how many times should I forgive my brother for the same offense? Is it like up to seven times? And Jesus says, no, it's like 70 times seven. And I mean, the main point of that scripture is, yeah, you keep forgiving. You keep forgiving over and over and over and over again. Jesus didn't mean 490 times. And once you get to 491, you're over. <laughs> you know, that's, it wasn't like a literal thing. But I think that I've taken that passage and I've realized that forgiveness is a process. A lot of times someone will hurt me and then I'll kind of work through a forgiveness process. I'll pray for him. And I think, okay, whew, we did it. But then literally 20 minutes later, my mind is back on it. You know, mm -hmm. 20 minutes later, my mind is back on it or the next day or the next week. And what I've kind of made a commitment to doing is I realized forgiveness is a slow process that takes many iterations. The first time you go to pray for that enemy, the first time you work kind of through it in your heart and you release them of the debt that they owe you, you're not keeping score anymore. It's no longer eye for eye, tooth for tooth good job. You did it the first time. Be, and I tell people this all the time, be prepared. It's going to come back. Mm. Even if you never talk to that person again, that, that image is going to come back. That, that vengeful feeling is going to come back. Your flesh is not done with this yet. And every time you have to almost commit to playing whack-a-mole every time mm -hmm. it pops up, you're ready to slam it down again. And that's got to be your commitment with these issues to be able to live out these teachings. Yeah. It's huge. It's really good. Yeah. Lucas, I want to say thank you so much for being on this podcast with me. Thanks for joining me. And uh, I know you give a lot of thought and time into these scriptures. So I really appreciate the, I really appreciate you joining me. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Hey, you guys, make sure you join us again next week as we continue on through the Sermon on the Mount. Thanks for listening to New Hope Underground. We'll see you later. <laughs>